So how do you how do you view your life? Uh, how do you view your life? The, the, the question that that, that asks, uh, the answer to it determines so much. It's so important because it determines our, our expectations, our values, our goals and, and our priorities. Um, if you see life as, uh, as a party, as an adventure, uh, then you're going to seek pleasure and experiences. If you see life um, as a race, as a competition, then you're going to seek to win, to accumulate, to accomplish, to, to achieve. How do you view your, your life? The great Christian writer G.K. Chesterton was once asked what books had had the most influence on him uh, or significance in his life other than the Bible. And he, his answer was Homer's Iliad because life was a battle and Homer's Odyssey because life was a journey. So what is your view of life? Today we're going to be continuing our sermon series, Questions That Jesus Asked. Jesus asked a lot of questions in the Gospels. And there are questions with a point, questions that reveal and questions that provoke, uh, questions that cause us and challenge us to to step back and uh, consider how we view life, ourselves, God and other people. And today Jesus asks us a question that challenges us to to view life the way that he did and to live life the way that he did when he walked this earth. So take a look now at Matthew 16, the passage Elena Claire just read. We'll start with verse 21 and work our way through it this morning. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, you'll notice that Matthew says Jesus must. He must do this. He must do that. So there's a sense that Jesus had an obligation. He, he saw his life as, as tied up in, in, this, in, the, in these next steps that he had to take. Uh, his view of life was, is, is revealed here when it says that he must do this. He must do that. He must suffer. He must be killed. He must be raised up on the third day. Now, the disciples at this time didn't know, uh, hadn't connected all the dots. Uh, just before this, in the previous few verses in this chapter, as we saw last week, Jesus asked us the question, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, if you will remember, he, he nails it, he aces it. He says, you're the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. Jesus blesses him and says, upon this, upon this confession of faith, I will build my church. You are the rock, Peter. He renames him. And, and Peter, in his mind, as we're going to see in just a second, cannot cannot fathom this. He cannot understand that, that Jesus would willingly do this and be a part of this. this. This is not a part of Peter's view of how life should go for the Messiah. Uh, because in his eyes, in his mind, the Messiah is, is, is someone who, who would rule, who would reign, who would liberate their people politically. But Jesus has in mind something else concerning his life. Jesus sees his life as a means of sacrifice and service and love so that others can, can be saved. So a new kingdom can be established. One that's not established in, in, in earthly power, in seeking accumulation or achievement, but one that's founded in service and sacrifice and love. But, but Peter, he, he doesn't have that in view because in verse 22 he says, it says, uh, Peter t- takes Jesus aside and it says he begins to rebuke him. Perish the thought, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. 
Now, in, in Jesus' day, disciples simply did not rebuke their rabbis, and they, they, they just would not have done it. But Peter does this because he does not want to see Jesus suffer. He believes that the Messiah should not be about torture or pain or injustice or death. He can't imagine or even see the possibility of that. He, he doesn't understand Jesus' view and understanding of what his life was to be about. You know, on my, on my shelf, I have several books uh, that I read through uh, kind of historical nonfiction. Uh, and uh, one of them is about Magellan. He was the explorer who circumnavigated the globe for the first time back in the early 1500s. And there's a story that's recorded um, that in 1520 they were they were rounding the tip of Argentina. And as they were sailing along, the crews noticed these huge, enormous bonfires on shore that the natives had built to to bring lights and warmth. But even though the ship sailed just a few hundred feet away from shore, the natives paid absolutely no attention to them because they considered the, the ships to be a mirage. They, they had never seen anything like that before, and they could not even imagine that they were real. Well, Peter, he just cannot imagine, he cannot conceive of Jesus' suffering. He had never thought of the Messiah that way. He had not been raised to think of the Messiah that way. So he basically he pulls Jesus aside and he says, Jesus, don't be talking about suffering and death and torture uh, and crosses. That's, that's not what we want to hear. I mean, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. Surely your life does not involve suffering and death and pain. Your life is to bring peace and prosperity and, and freedom and, and blessing. Don't do this, Jesus. Stop talking this way. Stop thinking this way. It sounds like something that Jesus would have heard once before when he was in the wilderness, just after he started his public ministry. Uh, he, he goes into the wilderness and um, Satan comes to him and Satan says, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. He, he got it right. He understood rightly. He said, surely your life does, is not, does not uh, need to involve going hunger, hungry. Turn these stones into bread. You can feed yourself. You can feed the whole world. People will see that you're relevant. That they, that they need you. He said, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Messiah as you say you are, then, then throw yourself down from the temple. God will send his angels to protect you so you won't get hurt. Surely, surely your life is not meant to involve danger, risk, or pain, or death. And you do this and people can see how spectacular you are, how important you are. He says that he tries a third time. You're the Messiah and you came to establish a kingdom. You, you are a king. You're to rule over a people. So I'm going to give it all to you. You get all this power without the pain or, or the death or the torture, the suffering. If you just bow down and worship me, Satan says, Jesus, you have the wrong view of how you are to do life. In his wonderful little book, In the Name of Jesus, Henri Nouwen wrote this, quote, Jesus' first temptation was to be relevant by turning stones into bread. His second temptation was precisely the temptation to do something spectacular that would win him great applause. But Jesus refused to be a stuntman. You all know what the third temptation of Jesus was. It was the temptation of power. End quote. Now, what is it about power? What is the temptation of power that is so, so uh, seducing for us as human beings? I mean, unfortunately, you, you look at uh, the history of the church over the years and a part of it, there's a wonderful things and awesome things that have been done, redemption. But there's also been 
a lot of instances where the church chose power over love or control over the cross. And so Jesus here, he sees Peter's statement for what it is, another temptation from the devil, and he responds appropriately in verse 23. Get out of my sight, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but merely the things of men. And what do we have in mind? What concerns us as human beings? Safety, security, eliminate risk, accumulate, set ourselves up. You know, protect ourselves, protect our family. But those are not necessarily the things of God. In God's view, Jesus' view on on life and how it is to be lived must, must subordinate our view on life as human beings. Now, in the story right before this, as I said earlier, Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the God. Peter is called the rock. But now Jesus calls him Satan. Saying he's a rock of, of offense, a stumbling block, because he's wrapped up in his own concerns and not what God wants. And Jesus severely rebukes him. And to my knowledge, this is the, probably the harshest thing that Jesus says to any of his disciples. So we'd better pay attention, because how we see life determines what we believe and how we act. And one of the things that concerns me is that, you know, a, a lot of folks have either been told or have bought into this false idea that, that following Jesus is pretty much supposed to be pretty smooth sailing. I mean, some challenges, some obstacles here and there. Uh, but, you know, life as Christ followers, it means that we're to be blessed and this and that and enjoy life. And, uh, and the suffering is, you know, for the other guy, the other gal, the other family, the other country. But if we buy into that lie... That, that Jesus came to give us a good life and there isn't going to be any suffering involved, then when something bad happens to us, like that cancer or car wreck or, or somebody dies we care about or a disaster, well, what happens then? We're left wondering if our Heavenly Father really loves us because we've been told so often that, you know, surely this can't be a part of God's plan. This surely can't be something that He would allow to happen. Life is not supposed to be about pain or suffering or, 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 or struggle. But imagine, if you would, what would you do if somebody came to your kids and they said, you know, your parents love you deeply. Uh, you can be sure that they will never discipline you and they will never cause you pain, they'll never deny you anything that you want. So you don't have to go to the dentist or eat peas or go to bed or apologize to anybody or do your homework. And whatever you want at the store, just name it and claim it because all they have is yours and they love you. They won't deny you anything. Well, you'd probably be pretty steamed about that, wouldn't you? Because those are lies that would show your kids that truly you don't love them because those ideas eventually will destroy them. And so you can see why Peter's comments cause Jesus so much frustration and anger because Christ without the cross is not Christ. It's the Antichrist, the false Messiah, or an idol of our own minds and culture, a creation of our own expectations about what life is supposed to be for us. Well, Jesus turns to the rest of the disciples and he tells them very clearly how they need to see life and how they need to act. And here's where Jesus asks us a question that gets to the heart of how we view life. 
Verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it do for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is coming, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Jesus essentially is asking the disciples, what's your view of life? What's your view of your life? Is life for achieving and accumulating and experiencing pleasure? Or is life about love expressed through service and sacrifice? If you gain the world but lose your soul, you've lost everything, he says, and you've gained nothing that will ever last. So Jesus' point is pretty clear. If you want to be a Christ follower, you have to see life as he sees it and live life as he lived it. Take up your cross, he says. Follow me. And it means serving others, dying to self, sacrificing for others in order to do God's will. Now, in American culture, that's, that's pretty much the opposite of what we're told that life is about. We're told to grab the brass ring, to go for the gusto, to think of yourself, uh, consume all you can, experience all you can, as often as you can. And yet, how's that working out in our world? There was an article in the Wall Street Journal a few years back entitled Rich, Healthy, and Miserable. And it was based on a survey that some sociologists did to determine if making more money really made people happy. And they discovered that when people got a raise, it did make them feel better for a while. But then almost inevitably, everybody began to spend up, spend up to the level of their new income. And it wasn't long before they felt the same pressures and unhappiness as they did before they got their raise. And the article, the author made three suggestions at the end for finding happiness. Two of them were to give more money away and to invest your time serving other people. You see, how we see life determines what we believe and how we will live. And, and that's why Jesus tells you and me to lose our lives for his sake, because then we will find it, which feels counterintuitive, doesn't it? You give something up, you gain it. You let go, you lose you gain, you win. You know, one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes is one where George Costanza, uh, if you know the show, he's a pretty selfish, unhappy, neurotic guy. Uh, and he comes into the coffee shop where Elaine and, and Jerry, his best friends, will they'll often sit down, they'll gather. And he tells them, hey, life basically isn't working. My entire life has turned out to be just the opposite of what I, I wanted and dreamed of. And so Jerry says, hey, try an experiment. Choose the opposite of everything that you feel, everything that's your instinct to do. And so George figures, you know, what the heck. So he starts trying it. He starts telling the truth instead of lying. He starts treating women with respect instead of using them. He starts loving his parents instead of dissing them all the time. He starts to show self-control instead of going into a rage when somebody inconveniences him, some, some uh, perceived slight. Well, in the process, he gets a new job, a new girlfriend, a better relationship with his family, and some self-respect. He lost his old life, but in the process, he found a new one that was much better. 
Now, at the end of the show, he goes back to the old George. But what Jesus says here is true for all of us. If we want to be a Christ follower, if we want to see life as he sees it, it means we live a life of love and of service and sacrifice as we seek to do God's will. I'm going to close with a couple of questions by Sam Alberry. He's a, a Christian author. A questions about what it means to be a disciple. He asks, what does God love that I'm tempted to hate? And what does God hate that I'm tempted to love? He asks, what does God want me to let go of that I'm tempted to grip onto? And what does God want me to grip onto that I'm tempted to let go of? This is a challenging passage, isn't it? But it's got a great promise. Because Jesus says that if we live life like he did, if we lose our life for his sake, we will find life now and he will reward us when he returns. So how do you view life? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is life an opportunity to serve God and love others and make an impact with the good news of Jesus? Jesus' call to us has not changed since the first words he spoke to Peter. Jesus says to you, you may come and take up your cross, die to yourself. Live your life for God. Live your life for me. Serve others. Take up your cross and follow me. So how will you spend your life? How will you view your life? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and Lord, we confess that we often hold on to things that we should let go of and let go of things that we should hold on to. We, we sometimes love things that we should not and, and are apathetic about things that we should care deeply about. Father, uh, help us to, to view life as Jesus did when he walked this earth. Help us to live like he lived. Lord, we know that in our own strength we will fail continually. But Lord, you have not left us with, with hope, without power. You have sent your Holy Spirit, so Holy Spirit, work in us and fill us that we would operate out of the perfect life that Jesus lived, that we will operate out of his Holy Spirit, his power, his strength, his righteousness, not our own. Lord, help us to take up your cross, to die to self, to serve and to sacrifice in order to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.